Lent comes around every year, and with it, an opportunity to become a new man. But what does that actually mean? Why do we give things up? How do we make this Lent different from the rest? Perhaps we decide instead of giving up just one thing, we'll give up two to three things. Or maybe we're going to add another 10 minutes of prayer onto our daily prayer time. Today's guest and I discuss how all of these things, while good practices, miss the point of Lent and ultimately lead to failure. We then go into practical steps and a great devotional that can help you actually live the meaning of Lent and find yourself a better man at Easter. Stay tuned. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on another episode of The Catholic Gentleman. I am your host, John Heinen. I am blessed to be joined with a friend and excellent uh, guide to men, Devin Shod. Some of you already know Devin because he was on an episode, actually episode number 16, right? So we're almost at episode 100. So we go way back. We talked about how to be a great Catholic father on that episode. I'll drop it in the show notes. If you didn't get to listen to it, I encourage you to, to jump back and take a listen to that. So for those of you who don't know who Devin is, Devin Chad is the executive director of the Fathers of St. Joseph, an apostolate that labors for the restoration, redemption, and revitalization of fatherhood. He is also the content creator of a lot of great stuff, whom we have partnered with to reach more men with his incredible work, which you can also find in the show notes today. Devin is the author of over 20 books on masculine devotions, fatherhood, and St. Joseph, and is the creator of a great video devotional system series called LEAD, The Four Marks of Fatherly Greatness. Devin lives with his wife and five daughters in Midwest. As I've already stated, he's a good friend, and I'm excited to have him join us today. Devin, how are you doing? Hey, John. Good. Thanks for having me on. Good. Thanks for being with me while I got through all of that. <laughs> so um, you're an accomplished man, and again, very grateful to have you here. So I want to start just diving in and talking about Lent, you know, and and why the church has put forth Lent for us and why we practice uh, prayer, fasting and almsgiving and to what end. Right. Because I think that's what I mentioned in uh, the teaser today. And one thing that you go into in such great depth and such great beauty in your book here that we're going to talk more about um, later. But let's start with that. You know, when I talk to men, I ask them. What are they going to do for Lent? And immediately say they're going to give up Coca-Cola. They're going to give up sugar. You know, they might add uh, an extra fast uh, day of fasting or, you know, maybe a new prayer regime or something like that. But none of them really talk about that growth and holiness or that that attempted growth in Christ. And so I'd, I'd love for you to talk to us men a little bit about how to make Lent something extraordinary this year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that. Well, first of all, a lot of times, why do we, we, you know, we participate in Lent and we say, I'm going to make this the best Lent ever, you know, and we have these high ideals and we're going to shoot for the moon. Or on the other side, you get people who are like the bare minimum. I'm going to give up gum for Lent, you know, or whatever, yeah. you, know, <laughs> yeah, course, exactly. you, know? Um, you know, and you got guys who are like, oh, I'm going to give up food for Lent, you know, but I think that really we have to 
so self-mastery is not the goal of Lent. Self-help is not the goal of Lent. And in fact, I think personally, I think that Lent exists for the second Corinthians chapter nine or 12 verse nine principle, which is uh, Paul asked three times that the thorn that buffet from Satan would be removed from him. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For why? Because my strength is made perfect or manifest in weakness. And I think that Lent is a great season for us to actually come in close contact with our weakness. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's why we bring on these devotions, not so we can be a superhero, but so that we can come in contact with our weakness. Because what happens when we're weak? Well, as a kid, when I was weak, I would depend on my parents, right? And as yeah. a spiritual child of God, though I'm supposed to become mature, I depend more on God the Father. I'm more on my brother Jesus Christ, my Lord, and ask for the Holy Spirit to fill me. So it's a recognition recognition of my weakness that allows me to cling to Jesus and say, please help me. And what am I asking to help me? That I may become you. Lent is not about you know, pursuing some kind of ethereal image of holiness or actually replicating a saint, the world's already got a Padre Pio. It doesn't need another yeah. Padre Pio. It needs a John Heinen, right? Mm. And, and so the deal is, is that Christ wants to replicate, manifest himself uniquely through each and every one of us. So the goal for Lent is that I not only know who Christ is, but that I actually become like him and not only become like him, but that I allow him to live in through me, as St. Paul says, no longer it is I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So that's the goal. Yeah, no, I'm so grateful for you saying that because I remember the first time I took on that Exodus 90 challenge. It was like, this is going to be the best Lent ever because look at all these things I'm doing. And it was still me focused. And I'll be yeah. honest that I went through um, quite a few Lents. And and while there, there was great virtue in practicing these sort of things and great growth for me, it was still always missing the mark. And, and I, I'm just really appreciative of what you're saying. And I will say that it was Father David Abernathy on a show almost two years ago that he brought up St. John Climacus and St. Isaac Syrian, who actually stated that it is only through fasting, it is only through these denials of these things that we can become like Christ. And our end goal is love of Christ. And if our end goal is not love of Christ and unity with Christ, then all of these things don't matter. And I even, in preparation for the show today, grabbed a quote from St. Alphonsus that says, mortification, meditation, receiving Holy Communion, acts of fraternal charity are all certainly pleasing to God, but only when they are according to his will. When they do not accord with God's will, he not only finds no pleasure in them, but he even rejects them utterly and punishes them. And I know St. Alphonsus, he's a doctor of moral theology in our church. He can speak, you know, pretty high, but there's a lot of truth to that, that all of these practices, all of these self-denials and stuff, if they're not done with Christ in mind and uniformity with God's will, then we're going to be missing the mark. So I guess... Um, how would you say that that men start their preparation for Lent? Like what what should we do to avoid the that, you know, reality or maybe just misstep that I had for like, honestly, all the way up until like two years of my life, two years ago of my life? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, is what you said. Uh, knowledge is very important. Uh, we need to understand what the goal of Lent really is. I love the fact that it's 46 days, including the Sundays. And I yeah. talk about this in the book, in the introduction, that if you look at when Jesus came into the temple and he cleansed the temple, right? They said, give us a sign of why you're doing this. And they said, because it took them 40, he says, well, Jesus says, um, 
in three days or what what how does he say it john he says that uh, you know go ahead and destroy this temple and in temple three days, in three days. yeah and they say how can you say that you can rebuild this temple in three days when it's taking 46 years yes. to rebuild it and it's ironic that that 46 that number of 46 is man's building it's mm. man's building of the temple. Herod's temple is, even though it was God's temple and Christ was coming in to reclaim it, it's man's building of the temple. And Christ is saying, look, your 46 days of Lent is not about you building me in your temple. It's mm. about you turning yourself over to me and letting me come in and cleanse you, mm. you know, just like you did with the whip of cords. And that's what we do in the mass when we say, holy, 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 sanctus, sanctus, sanctus. We're actually inviting Jesus into our temple to cleanse it. Mm. That's right before Holy Communion. That's what we're asking you. Come into my temple and cleanse me of that which is holding me back from being one with you. So first knowledge, the first thing is to have the knowledge that, yes, this is about becoming like Christ, becoming one with Christ. But then what does that mean? Well, I cannot become like someone unless I know that person, right? And how do you know someone? You, you know them by spending time with them. Yeah. And I think this is where Catholic men all of us struggle the most because we're doers. You know, Joseph did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do, you yeah. know, and but prayer is essential. Prayer is the the very foundation of all of this. And we can talk about what that looks like. But I think if you're shooting for a great Lent and you really want Jesus Christ to come into your temple and to cleanse it, the first place you need to start is looking at your devotions, not what to give up, but yeah. what to actually do with Christ to let Christ in, which is your prayer life. That's where I would begin. Yeah, no, that's so great. I, I really appreciate that. And I think that this episode is intentionally coming out before Lent, like two weeks before Lent, because I'm going to put it in the show notes, but man, I'm encouraging you to uh, to grab this book to help you with that. But I do think that it needs to come out before Lent starts because preparation for Lent is such a key, and now's the yeah. time to start preparing. So would you talk to us a little bit about uh, about preparation and, and what we should be doing and thinking a couple weeks before Lent begins? I think that that's a great place for us men to start so we can start putting on um, the mind of Christ and we can start truly like, um, I mean, honestly, uh, uh, I'm going to use the word again because it's stuck in my brain here, but prepare <laughs> to have this Lent. So what what are some practical tips that you would um, guide men? Yeah, well, first of all, you get this book because yeah. this book is uh, comprised of seven um, distinct stages with spiritual practices. This is not just a book. What it is, it, it's not just a devotional. This is a way to live out your Lent with spiritual practices over the course of seven weeks or or 46 yeah. days. And so basically it's to get familiar with what your spiritual practices are going to be for the course of that seven week period. And the first thing that I have in here is you take this image of the holy face of Jesus and you put it on your mirror so that mm -hmm. you're not looking at yourself. You're looking at Jesus when you're getting ready in the morning and you're asking him, there's a little prayer in here, to burn his holy image into you. So that others, when they see you, they not they don't see you, but they see Christ who is living in and through you. So the preparation, what do we got to do to prep? Figure out what it is you want to work on. For me, prayer life always is the first thing I'm looking at, okay? Yeah. The second thing is, so personal transformation, relational transformation. We can't have a relational transformation without personal transformation. We cannot just have personal transformation that has no relational transformation because then that's just selfish, right? It's all yeah. about me. So, so how do I allow Christ 
to transform me personally. Yes, prayer, uh, mortification. But I think also, too, then we got to move into the and these practices are in here toward the end stages. You've got some very difficult practices that are very real. For example, a person that you're jealous of, you're envious of, identify that person and then pray that God will bless them and favor them daily or someone who you've wounded. Ask them for forgiveness, either by letter or in person Uh, or someone who has wounded you. Forgive them from the heart and beg God to bless them daily. That's toward the end because that's what at the last stages of Christ's missionary journey, that's exactly precisely what he did. So what we're doing in this Lenten devotional system here is we're following Christ all the way from his baptism where he receives in a sense, well, he already knows his identity, but publicly receives that identity. And it takes him from identity to mission from the first moments of his mission all the way to the last moments on the cross. Mm. And we have spiritual practices associated with each stage. So we trek with him. So we're getting to know him, what the psychology is, if you will, behind what was happening with Christ. And we have practices that are associated with that. So for me, the first thing is, is I'm going to develop my prayer routine. So I'm going to carve out time in the morning with the Lord. And I'm going to carve out time in the evening with the Lord. And I make sure that those are my staples. Okay. And if those are in place, then the sacrifices, the mortifications, the relational kind of things, the practices I'm taking on here, I will be more equipped to do them. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to, there's two things that, that you've sparked in my brain that I want to talk about And the first one of them is the pitfalls and things to just kind of prepare men for like the, the, you know, Satan's attack, but also our own failings and, and inabilities. Let's come back to that because one thing I want to talk about is why another devotional? And and I and I think this is a great question for men, right? I think I, I have come around to to understand this idea is that we have this plethora of um um what to believe and why to believe it, but as men today in our affluent society, we very much need, in my opinion, more devotionals that can help us how to practically adopt these teachings in society uh, in, into our own personal lives. And so we've got, I've heard it described as, um, you know, you've got your engineer's manual and you've got your driver's manual, right? And and the engineer's manual is is the how and the what of, of what it's doing, but the, um, the driver's manual shows you how to actually adopted into your lives. And my wife and I have experienced this. You and your wife probably have as well. We didn't, we didn't enter into marriage with that driver's manual and, and not that there was one that could have touched all these things, but there are certainly, um, tons of devotionals that could be woven together to to fill a very strong cord that could help us along uh, the pathway. And so I I just wanted, because I get this comment a lot is, uh, you know, oh, another devotional or, oh, I'm just going to do St. Francis de Sales introduction to vowed life. Great. If that's what you're going to do, awesome, but really stick with it. But introduction to vowed life wasn't made for 46 days in mind. It wasn't made for Lent in mind, like Jesus's way, this great book that you did. So I'd like you to spend just a moment and talk about what inspired you uh, to to this devotional, and then we can go and talk about those those pitfalls. Yeah. So personally, why I wrote Jesus's way is because I felt like there was this massive struggle for as a man. Um, as a man, I'm supposed to be strong. I'm supposed to be independent. Um, I'm supposed to be the protector, the provider, the priest of my family. All these things. There's a lot of pressure there, you know. Yeah. And on on the other side, though. 
I know how weak I am. And internally, there's always that voice that you're not enough, that um, you're never going to add up, all that. So there's this battle, right? And I, and then on top of it, then I have church politics, world politics, all these, the crazy chaos of the world. And I think, uh, you know, I hear this person talking about, you know, whether it's liturgical, you know, kind of issues or whether it's hierarchical issues or whether it's moral issues. And I just like, I find that my head is spinning. I'm like, I just want to know what Jesus would say about this. Well, we know, but how, what did he do about this? And so personally, it, when I wrote this, I'm like, Lord, I want to know you. Yeah. And what I found, and this was a crazy thing about following Jesus, is that Jesus does not fit in with this world at all. Jesus is paradoxical in almost everything. So you want to be known, be hidden. You want to be elevated, be lowly. You know, you want to, you, it's just like, you want to be strong and proud. No, you got to be, it's like, if you want to live, you got to give your life away. And at every turn, he is exactly the opposite of what we think. If you really want to be powerful, love your enemies. It's like, what? I mean, and so as I wrote Jesus's way, I found immediately like just even from his baptism on that his life was a paradox and that he was calling us to live in this paradox. And that was like a real, uh, it, it is, is a paradigm shift for me because, you know, especially being in ministry, it's okay. How can we be known more? How can we be noticed more? Um, you know, et cetera. We all fall into this, but Christ is like saying, guess what? You rely on me in my ways, and I will bless you. You know, I will bless you in the ways that I think are best for your life. And and it's funny because when you walk with Christ in the paradox, there's great freedom. But when you don't, you're enslaved yourself. And so for me, it was just this: I want to know you, Lord. I want to follow you all the way from from the beginning, all the way through Calvary. And um, it's it was very powerful for me, especially when I got to the point where. Jesus was um, being tried by Pilate. And, and and there's something when you follow in, follow Jesus over these 46 days, first you understand how he's identified himself with human beings as, first of all, he, he he's the word made flesh, but he identifies himself so closely with us, but then he redeems humanity. And then he takes that identity all the way to that judgment seat before Pilate. And so the identity is us. Mm-hmm. And what's so powerful here is he's taking this redeemed vision of humanity in himself. And you think, okay, great. This is where I want to go. And then what does he do? Pilate brings out Barabbas and Jesus. And he says, who should I release? Pilate says this. And the people, it's interesting in the scriptures, it says, not this one, but this Barabbas. And why? Because Jerome and Origen said that his name Barabbas was Jesus Barabbas. And if you look at what's going on, Bar Abba is son of the father. Mm. So not this Jesus, son of the father, but Barabbas. We want that guy. Yeah. What do we say? Jesus is exchanging his identity with the fallen man, the fallen son of the father, Bar Abba, the, the revolutionary, the murderer, the envier, the guy who's jealous, the guy who's failed in his marriage, whatever, that's me. He's exchanging that identity, that perfect human identity with fallen man, Barabbas. Yeah. And he says, I'll go and place you. And at that point, when I wrote, when I wrote that, I was following Jesus. Man, I wept because I realized he's taking my place fully 
And now what happens next is all what I deserved. And, and it's amazing what's in the scriptures regarding his passion, but um, it's all about identity and mission. And I believe that it was my pursuit to find not only Christ, but then I've discovered more of my, my personal identity and my mission in Christ. But to be great, I'm going to have to be humbled. To be exalted, I'm going to have to be crucified. Because what we find, and this is just another side note, John, I'm just going off here. No, I love it. But um, Jesus says in John chapter 3, 8, and 12, he says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. And that Greek word for lifted up is hipsao. And hipsao can mean to be lifted up in exaltation or to be lifted up in crucifixion, torture. And so Jesus, he uses it interchangeably, which is amazing. So the paradox is, is that it is through my crucifixion that I will receive exaltation, you know? And, and so this is the point for each and every one of us. Jesus is saying, you want to be glorified? you must be crucified. You want to be exalted, you must go to the cross. And this is very hard for us. So for me, Lent is not just punishing myself because that never works. That That's mm. all reliance-based. Yeah. What it is though, it's embracing the cross that Christ wants to give me. And often what I find, and this is ironic, is Jesus says, I don't want you taking on that Lenten discipline because that's too hard for you. <laughs> I want you to take on this little discipline that you actually think you can do, but you can't do because underneath that discipline is what you really need to work on. So for example, lack of forgiveness, envy, resentment, greed, whatever it is, this little thing right here that I'm going to have you do is actually going to help you in that area. Mm. Whereas you want to take on the big thing because frankly, you're prideful, you know, and you think yeah. that you can do it. And it's so funny. We beat our chests around the round table and say, yeah, I took my cold showers and yeah, I haven't watched TV this week. And we're like, yeah, I'm doing good. But then underneath it, what's going on? Yeah, I'm prideful and I'm envious and all this, but I haven't worked on that yet, you know? And, yeah. and so Christ is not in the business of judging by human appearances. Mm. He wants to get down into the soul and he wants a clean house you know, yeah. so that we can be free, free to not love, be bound by human conditions and human recognition and human opinion, but we can be free of all that to actually live like him. And that's when we become a real danger and threat to the world of Satan, to the yeah. reign of Satan. Yeah. Wow. There's so much great stuff there. I think every man needs to just pause whatever I'm about to say, just forget it. Rewind. <laughs> Listen to that again. Um, yeah. I remember reading Benedict the 16th, um, may he rest in peace. And, um, that uh, about Barabbas and the name and the comparison there, but uh, I didn't, it didn't resonate with me like you were just speaking. So I really appreciate you reminding me of that and bringing that up. Uh, yeah. That's so great. And so, uh, and also, so another thing that was triggered is uh, St. Francis de Sales when uh, in the introduction to devout life, while that is obviously on my brain, um, he talks about in the point of virtues, right? In the section of virtues in the first chapter on virtues um, and growth and virtues, he talks about how we men, we all want to be the courageous leader. We all want to have this like um, extraordinary amount of courage and fortitude and strength and stuff like that. He was like, but you will have very little opportunity in life to actually practice that. Like it, you might never have that opportunity in life to practice this like overabundance of courage, you know, like we see on the movies and stuff like that. But you're going to have daily 
need to practice patience and meekness and kindness and charity. And he's like, and those are the things that we practice daily. And those are the things we have to work on on a regular basis. So are you suggesting, I'm just thinking about this pitfalls idea. Are you suggesting that it's possible that men will have set for themselves a path and then a couple weeks into Lent realize that that path isn't um, what God's calling them to. And now it's time to make a change. Well, has that ever happened to you? It's happened. To yeah. Me. Like I laughed while you were talking about it because that's, that's on a regular basis, but often, and this is the, the concern of the pitfall that I bring up and why I'd like you to spend a little bit more time talking about this is when that happens, it's so much easier to fall into the complacency and the comfort of life and go back to the way we were. Right. And, and, and not make that adjustment, not humble ourselves and realize, okay, I didn't do this. Well, thank you, Lord, for that exposure to my weakness. And I see that I obviously need to be working on this and then make that change forward. I'd like you to talk a little bit about those pitfalls because I'd be willing to go as far to say that the majority of men in Lent especially if Lent is episodic, meaning that it only comes once a year and they only give things up once a year and they only try and practice these things once a year, they're going to fail. Psychologically, your brain and your physical, you know, demeanors and everything is just not capable of handling all these things. So how do we, how do we stay on, on the pathway forward, you know, where oftentimes that, that trajectory and growth and holiness isn't directly vertical, but it's more like, you know, like the stock market, you know, up and down as it grows. I'd love, I just want to hear from you, your, yeah, your suggestion. And yeah. Um, well, first of all, I, you know, when I was younger, when I had just had my conversion, um, I was going to daily mass and it was the first day of Lent. And this priest, he said, um, I don't want you to give up anything for Lent. And I'm like, mm. that's, that's, this guy's a heretic. You know? <laughs> and then he said, what I want you to do is I want you to take on one thing and do it for the next whatever 40 days and do it for the rest of your life. And I was like, mm. whoa, that's kind of a novel idea, you know, huh? You mean I just don't do it? And then at Easter, I'm like, woohoo, you know? Yeah, exactly. uh, and, and so I'm like, which, which begged the question, okay the things that I was doing previously for Lent, um, I would, woohoo, I'm done. And, you know, let's say I gave up booze for Lent or yeah. warm showers or whatever. And then I just go back to my former way of life, which I was like, when you were talking about that, St. Peter, St. Peter, after he betrayed our, or denied our Lord, what does he do? He goes fishing. He mm. goes back to his former way of life because he doesn't think he's worthy. Right. What, yeah. what I think, I think that it's important that we look at Lent. What is the practice or the thing that I can take on that I actually can continue to do for the rest of my life that will actually make me a better son of God? Because here's the other point, back to what we were talking about earlier. Yes, it's to become another Christ. Yes, it's to know Christ. But what is Christ doing for us? He's saying, I want you to know the Father. I want you to know the Father because the Father wants to heal you of your father wound. Your Father wants to heal you of this wound where you feel like you're abandoned. You have to appeal to the world and the lies and the maxims of the world to actually get any recognition and respect. The Father's love is sufficient. I want you to experience that. So so Jesus is saying, pick up that one thing. And, and, And usually those one things are not giving up something, but it's something very positive, a holy hour each week. Or maybe it's just five minutes extra of silent time in your prayer in the morning, or maybe it is one secret sacrifice a day. 
you know, or maybe it is actually doing good to someone who you are jealous of, you know, mm. et cetera. But I, I find that Christ for all the fasting he did, that was just to empower him to actually do the hopeful, encouraging actions, which actually stunned this world. Yeah. And so, so here's how it works. In my opinion, we want to pray. How do we have power in our prayer? Sacrifice. And then what is the prayer and the sacrifice for mission? So you pray to become one with God, you sacrifice so your prayers become powerful for others and even for yourself. And then all of that is Christ living in you to fulfill your mission to bring people to the Father. That's it, man. That's it. And that's what Lent should be focused on. And if you can get that right, if you can get that vision in your brain, you will have a great Lent. And here's the deal. You are going to fall. You are going to fail. And you should be thankful for that. Like you said, yeah. thank you. Why? Because then that shows you how weak you are and how much you need to depend on Christ. And when that happens, that's when Christ is powerful in you because you're leaning on him and he will give you more. This It's ironic because we, like you're saying, uh, or said about you know this idea that we have to be courageous and strong and we're waiting for that big Maximus moment yeah. where we're yeah. going to slay everybody yeah. in the, you know, in the right. arena. And it rarely ever happens. How does it happen though eventually? How does Maximilian Colby give his life for those men in that in that cell? You know, how does he step forward? How do they do that? Because it began with small, small actions to which they were obedient to. And I was just listening to this interview um, with an exorcist. Okay. And he was saying, what is the first step in the protocol for dealing with people who might be obsessed, possessed? Obedience. So, and and he said, we start with little acts of obedience, 6, 12, and 6, pray the Angelus. Mm. And it's so simple. Or And you do it religiously every day. Why? Because those little steps of obedience push away or cast out the disobedience and the anarchy of the evil one. Yeah. Let's face it. We all, the society we live in right now, we are veiled in darkness. We are oppressed by the voices of the world, the kingdom of noise. The devil is on us. And if we want to actually be big for the Lord, we've got to go small. That's the paradox of Christ. Yeah. We've actually got to start with small little acts of obedience to whatever plan you have set up for Lent. That's why I highly recommend Jesus's way because we've got it yeah. there. You, yeah. you, and, it's, and, and you have options. So yeah. each stage, you can pick what you want to do. But the point is, then you remain obedient to that and then be prepared to fall, but then get back on the horse. And that's where the humility is at. And God loves that. He says, okay, this guy is not giving up. He's still with me. That's And the Lord will bless that. And you will become a saint by doing that throughout your entire life. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. I, so I love how you started. And I actually want to jump into that, how you started connecting the two, or the two, but all three, right? Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And, and I've already brought up St. John Climacus, but it reminded me of of a quote that he stated, which was, I think it is fasting makes for purity of prayer. And like, it is in that fasting that our prayer can come stronger. And it is in that prayer that we can understand when we fail at fasting, you know, it is, it's, it's a good moment to be humbled and that we can grow in that holiness. And there's something that I learned, uh, a couple of years ago that I was just inspired to to bring up now. And it's that idea of like strategy, traction, momentum. So for men, if you strategize something, you prepare, right? A couple of weeks before Lent, you're prepared, you're moving forward, you gain traction, you move momentum with Christ. Awesome. But when things will 
you know, get rocky and you'll fall, it's time to re-strategize. It's not time to give up, right? It's time to yeah. re-strategize and re-look at things and then see if we can't get traction and momentum again. And so I think that's uh, that's really great. So let's talk about uh, prayer and, and how your book helps men grow in prayer and, and well, you know, some of the, the format and the order. And then also, I like the fact that you already hinted on the fact that it gives you options. So I'd like for you to talk uh, briefly about that as well. Yeah. So I think I, you know, I'd have to go back to look at like the spiritual practices, but uh, like, for example, the first stage, well, actually the first three to four preparatory days of Lent is just getting that image of the Holy face on your mirror and praying. So that prayer. And that's yeah. something that you're going to continue to do all through Lent. And it really, what's going on here is, is that I may decrease, he may increase, you know, Christ's image in me. But then the first stage, I believe, is all about getting that morning prayer routine established in our lives. And I'd have mm. to go to the page to look it up. But basically, the idea is here, let's just go to it. I think it's page yeah. 43. I, I, okay, I hope great. That's, okay to, that's to great. This. No, please do it. Um, I plan on doing that this Lent, guys. So for anybody who's listening, I have not, um, I have the book, but I have not uh, practiced it during Lent. So we're going to do this yeah. together. Yeah. So basically on page 43, this is the, the second stage of the journey, the first official week of Lent. You have options such as praying your morning offering, meditating on the gospel and the seven hours of prayer, which I get into in the, in the index explains each practice, how to really make it the best it can be, right? And, or pray a scriptural rosary decade or decades or the whole rosary, but practice 15 minutes of prayer, five minutes of silence, using the scriptures of liturgy of the hours, et cetera, as your base. But the whole idea is this first stage is to get that morning prayer routine because you win the day as the secular say, you, you win the morning, you win the day, right? Yeah. And if you don't win the morning, what happens? You've squandered it. And St. Francis yes. of Sales says that, um, and this is might be a little too much for all of us, but he says that we're supposed to spend an hour in prayer before noon, sometime before yeah. noon, or else the day is really kind of lost. I think that's the introduction to devout life, maybe he yeah. even says that. But so the second stage is all about developing your, your evening routine, your examine, whatever you pick your practices, your 15 minutes of prayer, five minutes of silence, and it goes on from there. But the idea here is if you do not apply yourself in Lent to that first stage, which is prayer, and get that scheduled, get that in. And I think it's very simple. A lot of guys are like, you know, I failed at, uh, you know, getting my prayer practices, uh, you know, developed for Lent. Well, what time do you go to bed? Um, I don't know. Yes. Okay. Well, that's the first problem, you I know, go to bed at the same time every day as much as possible so that you get up at the same time every day as much as possible. And then make sure that when you're getting up, you've scheduled it to where you get enough sleep, because that's the other thing. God wants you to get sleep because that regenerates the brain and it gives you a good disposition, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. But then when you get up in the morning, then you have that time before anyone else gets up because we all got kids, we all got the craziness of life and the world is going to come in and weigh on you. But that time is the time when the devil can't get at you. Mm. And that's the time you can give to the Lord. And it's quite simple. I think that we make more out of prayer than it really should be. You know, St. Teresa of Avila said, it's just basically a mutual discussion among friends. Yeah. And so what I, what I recommend is 
like the first thing you do when you go to prayer is actually make sure that you're you're demonstrating with your body who whose presence you're in front of you know wow. so i like to prostrate my prostrate myself not prostate but prostrate <laughs> myself and uh, yeah. and just say god you are here i am here and i worship you etc and i love and this is the other thing that i've really taken on recently and and it's it's part of one of the spiritual practices is that i call out to abba Mm. Abba father. And I, I resented that. Like that was something I resisted for Mm. decades because I was like, that's childish. And it's such a kind of like Abba, you know, but when I, when I Romans eight, those who live Mm. by the spirit cry out, Abba father, how do you know the Holy spirit's living in you? When you refer to God, your father as your Abba. And in the Hebrew, that word is a, a word of tender, humble submission to one's dad. And so Jesus in the garden, when he was amping his prayer up, Abba, Father, you can do all things. It's a, it's a tender act of submission to his papa, his daddy, his God, his father, right? And so that's what I do, Abba. Right now, the relationship is I am your child, I am your son, you are my father, and I trust you. I surrender. And then, then I just say, okay, here's what's going on in my life. And I'm very candid. Like if I'm having temptations toward this, like this situation, I'm going to tell God about it. I'm not going to hide it. Or Lord, if I'm jealous or envious, I'm going to tell God about it. Or Lord, if I'm like struggling with whatever, or I'm delighted in something, Lord, this is what's going on. And I let him in. He already knows it, but he wants me to let him in. And then after all that's out, then I use the scripture and I meditate on the scripture and I develop a conversation with the Lord on that. Well, I don't, he does. He speaks to me through scripture and then I'll go into whatever else I, you know, like the liturgy of the hours or et cetera, but it's much easier than that. But I just think that the key here is we've got to enter into dialogue with the Lord, but then there's this point where we need to be silent. And so like, you think about this, like if you're, if you're going in for a blood transfusion, you don't have to understand it. You don't even have to know what's going on. All you do is new blood in, old blood out, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what happens in adoration and in prayer, especially in silence. It's new man in, Jesus Christ, old man out. And you know, if you're going for heart surgery, they knock you out. And there's yeah. a reason why they knock you out, because they don't want you grabbing the doctor and telling the doctor what to do, right? And God's like that too. He's like, look, just be still and know that I am God, not you. I am God. Okay. So be still and recognize that. And so I love to give God five minutes of just silence and say, okay, do your heart surgery on me. Infuse me with you, the real man, the true man, the God man. And, and, you know, it's amazing after doing this for years now, decades, even um, what I've found is I'm still imperfect. I still have my problems. Ask my wife. She'll tell you all about it, but I have grown immensely from the boy that I was to being a man of God. And does that mean I'm not going to fail? No, but it means that I recognize Christ's voice now. I can discern his his word in my life. Um, and I feel the calling, you know what I mean? And it's very powerful. Now it's scary too, because sometimes he asks us to do things that are counterintuitive. And that's where, and that's where Jesus's way gets really yeah. into that, is that the gospel is counterintuitive. Totally. So I don't know if I answered your question. But- you did, and I, I just... 
I want to comment for our listeners here is that you're hearing two men talk that have been humbled frequently, that have experienced uh, this. And yeah. I just admire Devin uh, so much, but I I just want to to make that comment of something that, uh, you know, is still a frequent struggle of mine is what you just stated is getting to bed on time. And here's the thing. It might not be because I'm watching TV. It could be because I'm I'm reading a good spiritual book. But the point is, is that when I get to bed and only get for me six hours or less, my prayer time is is it's there and I force myself to be there, but it's not there. Right. I'm I'm shallow and I'm hollow and I am. I'm struggling to stay awake. And and yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that up because in preparation, men, while we're preparing for Lent and getting up, um, it's important to get to bed and get plenty of sleep so that you can have a fruitful prayer time. That that would be like a, a, a Lenten devotion is, okay, this is my bedtime and I'm sticking with it. And this is my rise time and I'm sticking with it. it and you go, oh, come on. That's so small. So, okay, try it. Try it for seven days and <laughs> tell me what you think. You know? it. It's so it. true. It's and I love Sunday morning, you know, I mean, Amen. You hung out Saturday night and had your fun. I mean, I mean, come on, you know, so this is huge, but here's, there's something else that I, why are we going to prayer? I, I think this is huge. First of all, I think there are a lot of guys who are not courageous enough to really go to prayer. They're afraid. Yeah. Because they're afraid of several things. They're afraid, A, that God will not speak. Okay, that's a waste of time. Or mm -hmm. God will speak and I'll have to change my life. Mm. Okay? So those are kind of the two polar extremes there. But why do you go to prayer? Guess what? Guys, God wants you to change this world. God wants you to infect the world of Satan and his kingdom with the torch of Christ. He wants you to go into darkness and he cannot use you to the fullest extent, not use you, participate with his plan to do that unless you're showing up for duty every morning saying, what's the order, sir? You know, and it, it, so like, could you imagine going into battle and you're not reporting to your uh, officer, your, your the lieutenant, the sergeant, whoever you're reporting to, and I'll just do whatever I want. I'm going to take my gun. I'm going to go out there and just do whatever. No, that, that's yeah. not how it works. You know, no quarterback, uh, in, well, I hope, in NFL or college runs his own plays. You know what I mean? There's an yeah. offensive coordinator. And and the thing here is, is this. God is the ultimate offensive coordinator. He knows the game plan of the enemy. He knows the playing field. He knows how to win. And yet we're running all these audibles all the time. You know what I mean? And 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 we're thinking we're doing a good job. And the Lord is, you still haven't learned to listen to me. Yeah. That's the most basic thing in a relationship is he says, sacrifice and holocaust I want not, but an open ear. That's right. That's right. You know, an open ear. That's all I want is you, you to listen to me. That's a sacrifice I want. And so it starts little bedtime, same time, rise time, same time, develop your little and don't say, okay, I'm going to give God an hour. Yeah. Okay, great. Great. That's it. Right. But that's a pitfall. That's right. I totally agree. And I liked how you mentioned getting up before others. This is uh, Sam and I bring this up very frequently on this show is in having for fathers, having a good rule of life or for um, husbands who maybe don't have children, get up before the rest of your family so that you are not distracted as you so you know rightfully stated because 
it changes the thing when you've got a two-year-old and I understand that there are times that it's just not possible. Maybe you're waking up at 5am or 5.30am and your two-year-old wakes up at the same time, right? We're not telling you to wake up at 4.30, but the point is, um, it makes a difference. It makes the world of difference. And then I wanted to add another thing too, which actually you you bring up in um, in Kustos, uh, your book is the importance of creating a tent, right? Creating that area in which you pray. We haven't talked about that, but in preparation for Lent, men, I really, really strongly yeah. encourage you. And Devin, why don't you speak a little bit about that, about the importance of having a location that's not in your bed. And I just want to state that, right? I've, there's so many guys, myself included, we're so tempted, right? It's like, hey, at least woke up and you know my wife might be still asleep and stuff so i'll just sit up in bed and it it doesn't work so if you could share a little bit about that i'd appreciate that well well, the first thing is uh i mean make yourself a little uncomfortable bodily in prayer i mean christ went into the desert you know and and this is very important um that we okay so the tent of meeting so moses uh Moses created what was called the tent of meeting, and it was outside of the camp of the Israelites. And the reason why it wasn't in the camp was because that's where everybody was. And so it needed to be outside the camp where it was not chaotic, busy, etc. And that's where Moses, Joshua, and others would go to receive counsel from the Lord. And um, I believe personally, I mean, like behind me, I, I don't know if you can see it, but I've got statues yeah. and pews and an altar yeah. back there. I'm, I'm, I'm a religious fanatic, but yeah. uh, so, <laughs> I, uh, no, but I take it seriously. And, and I've, I've had my own chapel for decades now in my house and, and why, because I believe that by going there to my chapel, I can find Christ in here, away from the clutter, away from the smartphones, away from the computers, away from all of that. I've got this sacred space. And, you know, we talk about tithing our money. We talk about tithing our time. But what about tithing space in your home to God? It's God's home. It's not yours. It's his. Tithe some of that space to him by just having that little chapel, whether it's in a closet or, you know, a a room in the basement, whatever it is, dedicate that to him so that you can actually get out of bed and go there so you can find him in here. It's a mini pilgrimage. And what I've found that over the years that has done for me is that 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 has given me this personal space where my family doesn't mess with me, um, you know, like where it's all God and I can really just be his. It's very powerful. Um, But when we don't do that, you're sitting in the living room, there's folded laundry or unfolded laundry, you yeah. know, there's, there's stuff that has to be done. And you're looking at that and you're thinking, Oh, I got to do this. And I got to do that. And I just wish they put their crap away. And, you know, yeah, such exactly. A, you mm-hmm. know, and then pretty soon you're not even thinking of anything about God, but you're thinking about your to-do list, you know? And, and uh, so I think that that's very important is to have your tent of meeting established or try yeah. to establish that. And and what I did, I have candles and crucifixes and statues and anything that's going to help to make that space sacred, you know? Amen. And I, would you agree with this statement? You should not use your phone in that tent of meeting. You should get a tangible book. You should try and separate yourselves. And the only reason I feel inspired to say that is because of exactly what you're talking about with with the junk of the kids and the laundry and things like that. I find uh, the 
not only the attachment to technology, but also the uh, way that Satan can easily use that becomes a distraction, uh, even if it's near me. So even if I set it up on the um, like a prayer table next to me that has a bunch of good spiritual books around it, I'm feeling beckoned by it. And oh, yeah. so um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Again, just yeah. kind of bouncing around, uh, but things that come to mind. I literally take this thing and I throw it on the couch in the other room. Like, yeah. get away from me. Yeah. Know, like what was uh, Ignatius of Loyola um, when he talked about a negative thought? He said, you lansar, you launch it, you throw it, it away. You know, and, I, yeah. and the phone, I throw it away. And But there is a prayer that I, I, I refer to. I need to print it out. Um, St. Charles de Facal, which is the surrender prayer. So I'll use I'll use my phone outside the chapel. Yes. Being that prayer. And then I'll move into my tent of meeting. And that space is God's. Because you're right. The devil is the master of noise. And we've got enough of it up here. We've got enough of the chatter, you know, going on up here. And another thing with that, um, don't let the chatter intimidate you or be the cause for you to stop praying. In Screwtape Letters, um, what was it? The archdemon screw tape was talking to his nephew Wormwood, his yeah. his little other demon that he was. He, so there was this uh, project, this patient that they were working on to get him to be damned, you know. Mm-hmm. And this guy was seeing a girl, I guess. And I, as I recall, that's and right. He's yeah. Like, yeah, I get her to think about her. Wormwood saying to screw tape, I get her to th- get him to think about her all the time and all these issues and everything. And he's like, "You fool! Now he's going to take that to prayer." And he's <sighs> like, yeah. <laughs> so that's C.S. Lewis. He's brilliant. But that's the yeah, idea. Is. If you want to defeat Satan, he's bar- bar- barraging you with distractions. Fine. Lord, here's the distraction. I give it to you. This is what I'm thinking about. And then all of a sudden a conversation is developed. Because why am I thinking about that? Because this is important in my life. This is something that I'm really worried about or concerned about. And the Lord is going to come in. Am I not your father? Am I not going to yeah. take care of you? And then, you know, it's interesting, you give it to them. And then it's amazing how solutions and ideas come later on that we think are ours. Yeah, <laughs> but really, yeah. it's the Holy Spirit because we gave ourselves to God. The bottom line here is this. You cannot give what you do not possess, St. Augustine, right. Right? right? And so if you want to give God to your wife, to your children, to your coworkers, to the world around you, which is the purpose of your life, you have three purposes. That's right. The purpose of your life is to glorify God, to have communion with God, and to lead others into communion with God. That's the purpose of your life. If you're not firing on any of those three pistons, you got it wrong. Those you have. So the bottom line is you cannot give what you do not have. And if you want to fulfill those three purposes, you have to have a great prayer life. Now, here's the deal, the extremes on this. You can go all out. I'm going to have an hour of prayer every morning. I'm going to have an hour of prayer every night. And, and guess what? By day three, you're over. You're That's done. That's right. No. And so not gonna work. start small, let God be big. Be humble. Start small. Fine. 10 minutes of prayer. And yes. half of that's going to be in silence. No snoring, right? But that's you right. know, half of it's in silence, you know, whatever. Start small with your sacrifices. Okay. It, I want to start cold showers. Fine. One a week. See how that goes. You know, yeah. just try it if you if you're not accustomed to that. Uh, or if it's a deal where you're trying to f- skip meals. Okay, fine do it every other day or whatever, just start small and work up to it because there's no rule in Lent that says you cannot progress. And that's the thing about Jesus's way is that the spiritual practices that you select in stage one, don't go away like Kustos. 
They compile yeah. with the ones you selected from stage two, stage three. So why? So at the end of Lent, you have a new way of living. It's not like this all goes away. That's you're right. living these things on a daily basis, and it's like getting hardwired into your soul. And you're like, man, I can do this. With God's help, I'm living a spiritual life. And that's every man needs a rule of life. Every man yes. needs a holy spirituality. And if you do not have a spirituality, if you're just doing it kind of happenstance, this may be an overstatement, but I, I'm worried for your soul. Yeah. Because the thing is, is we sacrifice for that which we love. Yeah. And if you are not sacrificing your time, which is by being devoted to God in prayer, if you're not sacrificing what you eat and what you wear and what you look at, if you're not sacrificing that, if you're not sacrificing in your relationship with others to exalt them rather than yourself and to serve them rather than yourself, if that is not at least your desire and you're trying at least in that area, I fear for your soul. Because you are saying, yeah, I love God, but I'm going to sponge everything off of God. I'm going to live off of God. And I believe in God because of all that God gives me, but then I'm not giving anything back. Yeah. And that's just not godly because God is all gift. Yeah. He can't help himself. He's a torrent of self-giving love. It just doesn't stop with God. <laughs> he gives to yeah. everyone. And I just think, man, that's... If, if I'm not entering into self-giving love in all those areas, if I'm not sacrificing for that which I love, I don't love it. Amen. Well, and I, I liked your comment, uh, all of it, but I liked that comment about starting small. And I do want to encourage men, like if you're used to 30 minutes of prayer time a day, bump it up to 45. And if you're used to, if you don't have a daily prayer time, yeah, start at 10 minutes. And here's the thing, require yourself to commit to that 10 minutes, right? It might not be that you get through the full um, devotion on that day. It might not be that you get through the full rosary um, or you do the full nightly examine or whatever it is that you're going to take upon yourself or that this book is going to guide you to do but um require yourself to at least have that time right that 10 minutes and and allow god to fill it with with um you know what he's he's capable of doing right so we have to challenge ourselves and we have to require things of ourselves but to avoid this sort of perfectionist mindset or it has to be this way or no way this sort of selfish mindset i feel it's so important to order our thinking and order our plans correctly and and that's just what i hear constantly coming out of of the wisdom that you're sharing with us so i really appreciate that devin um one thing that we haven't talked about is almsgiving and um and i know that you know in, in preparation for this i i was like you know we should talk about this like it's the forgotten you know third of the pillars of lent and and i can honestly be uh um open in the fact that there's been many of Lent and it's like during Holy Week, I'm like, oh my goodness, what have I been doing for almsgiving or how I have been adopting almsgiving? Then I haven't. And so what can I do now? Right. And it's a little bit frantic. And so I wanted to read from Tobit um, from the book of Tobias that give alms out of thy substance and not turn away thy face from any poor person. For so it shall come to pass that the face of the Lord shall not be turned from thee. For alms deliver from all sin and from death and will not suffer the soul to go into darkness. I mean, that is a powerful statement and something that I wanted to uh, just bring up uh, while we're talking about fasting and prayer is almsgiving. And I'd love to hear just a little bit of thoughts that you have on the issue of almsgiving, uh, just to make sure that it's not the forgotten third of a good 
and Holy Lent. Yeah, I agree. It is the forgotten third for sure. Um, okay, so first of all, um, one thing that I think as men we could really challenge ourselves to do is, um, so w- when I first, you know, surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, I was meeting with a priest, and I was like, I have such a hard time tithing. You know, I was I was living below the poverty line. We yeah. I was just married. Um, we were poor, and he's he's like, well what are you doing? I said, well, I give 10%. He goes, well, is that on your net or on your gross? And I was like, uh-huh. on my net. And he's like, yeah. well, no, you need to give it on your gross. I'm like, I'm already having a hard time <laughs> on my net. And you want me to give more? And he's like, you have to trust the Lord. And so I took him up on it and I started to um, give on the gross because all that money is technically mine, even though it goes to the government, because that's just part of the whole package. Right. And but it was ironic because when I started doing that, it just I just saw the Lord steadily increase, uh, whether it was my pay or whether it be windfalls or things like that that would actually help me with my vocation, because those who act in faith cannot be outdone in generosity. And that's, that's right. not why we do it. Mm-hmm. We have to check ourselves to make that's sure good. I'm not tithing and, and giving just so that I get something in return. No, 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 no. But God can't help that though either because he's totally generous and he will not be outdone in generosity. He just will not. Um, so that's the first thing, guys. If you're not giving on your gross, I challenge you to give on your gross. Okay. So that's 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 a big one for a lot of guys. Um, yeah. but there's massive freedom, which, and I think this is what's so beautiful about that. Why? Well, first of all, it's it's conditioning you to act in faith, right? which is trust, which, okay, so faith has two parts, the intellectual assent, and then the actual action, which is trust. So we can believe all we want intellectually, but that means very little until we put it in action. And this is a definite action where you give the money that on that gross to the Lord, you're acting in faith. The second thing though, is this, along with that is if you, if you're, don't work on the Sabbath, don't work on the Lord's day. Yeah. Because I think that a lot of people look at that day as catch up. But that day is the day. The commandment is not don't work. The commandment is make holy the Sabbath, you know? So the Lord's day is to be holy. So if I'm working on stuff that's just going to actually better me, better my house, better my situation, that is not keeping the day holy. But it's an act. And this is where we can alms give is start refraining from work and making that day holy. How? Prayer relational time with the Lord, relational time with your wife, your children, and make it a day that is holy, a a day of communion, worship at mass, etc. Now, that said, now we're going to go a step further. So not only gross tithing, not only not working on Sunday, but then this. Now, pick your charity, whatever you want to do, and and give where it hurts. So deny yourself of whatever those purchases are going to be for the next 46 days and take that money that you've identified, identify how much that money is going to be. Or if you don't have any purchases, just identify what that money is and take it out of your substance. Like you're saying, not out of your extra, you know, whatever, and give it to your favorite charity and, and, and make it hurt a little bit, you know, challenge yourself, you know, don't take the easy way out. Um, because I really believe this, it is the guy who gives alms, his prayers are heard, you know, because he hears the cry of the poor. 
And, and so I just think that that's very important. Um, and that's one of the practices in here, actually. Awesome. Okay, great. Oh, I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. Is to step up in that area. Um, but I think, no, I think that's great. And you, for the married men, I really want to encourage you because it's something that Devin brought up when he first got married and I've experienced the exact same thing as well. Uh, talk to your wife about these things before Lent begins, right? Be a good and loving spouse and somebody who is guiding, but at the same time preparing your wife as well uh, so that it's not Ash Wednesday or Sunday and you're you're now upping your tithe and she's been unprepared and then that creates tension. So I just feel called to mention that uh, for married men, discuss these things um, with your spouse before Lent begins uh, so that you guys can both be prepared together. And um, that just felt... Uh, that that's, was a- really, that's really great. Yeah. And actually, that's so beautiful because when you do collaborate with your wife in that area, so one way to, to give alms is to actually... So like as Americans, we have this beautiful thing called a tax write-off. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, so then when we give, we're like, hey, yeah, this is good. I'm going to get back. <laughs> you know? and, 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 but I'm so giving. And But <laughs> like one great thing... Um, when you're talking to your wife about this, it comes about is that what families do we know that are really struggling right now? Mm. You know, maybe they've had a baby and, you know, and there's complications, a lot of hospital bills, or maybe a wife has lost her husband and is struggling to get by. Um, what can we do? And, and here's the other thing, try to do it anonymously. Um, if you can, um, because I think that when we do it anonymously, we're actually we're actually trying to give as much credit to the Lord as possible, and and it yes you can let that person know I guess, but I would try to refrain from that. I would try to because you don't want that person to be indebted to you. You don't yeah. want that person to think highly of you. You just want to help that person, and it makes that intention altruistic. But mm. I love that's I I love giving alms in that way. Um, where we identify people who have actual needs and then you supply them with something and it's totally unexpected and they're blown away. You, you know, you know, sometimes you, you encounter that, but, um, but man, I think it's beautiful, you know, when you can do it that way. Um, you know, I, I remember this is just off track, but so just with this anonymous nature of it all, I was a, before I converted to Christ at the age of 24, I was, um, so I had massive wounds as a kid, massive, yeah. massive. And so I was a partier. I was a thief. Mm. I, I actually, I actually stole a lot, a lot. And I'm not talking like petty stuff. I'm talking like, um, a lot. And one of the things, uh, I was working at a, at a restaurant and, um, you know, I was in charge of the cash register. And so, I started, you know, embezzling. I mean, this is when I was, you know, early, let's see, I was like 19, 20. Uh, no, Christ wasn't even on the radar and yeah. um, embezzled a lot of money. But after I surrendered my life to Christ at 24, um, I actually saved my money and I had a cashier's check and I signed it Jesus Christ. And I mm-hmm. sent this money to this owner of this restaurant. So, Hey, I wouldn't go to jail, so I wouldn't know who I was, but also <laughs> as anonymous, you know, and giving it back, you know. And and I think that those type of things take the the satisfaction, the personal satisfaction out of it for us, which 
God, God doesn't want us necessarily to have the personal satisfaction. Such he just wants us point. to be brave enough to give, you know? Yeah, that's such a great point. Wow. Uh, I appreciate you sharing that story. So Devin, last question is where can men find out more information about you? Um, I've already mentioned that I will put this book in the show notes. The Catholic gentleman's carrying it. There'll be the link there. Or you could just go to our website uh, to, to pick it up. But uh, Devin, uh, so great having you on. Where can men go to get more of your resources and learn more about yeah. you? Go to Fathers of ST stjoseph.org and our resources are there. I mean, I do have a YouTube channel, um, Father yeah. St. Joseph. You could go there as well. Um, but um, I'm not a big social media guy. But yeah, um, but yeah go to fathersofstjoseph.org and you'll find a lot of our stuff there. Wow. Well, what a blessing, Devin, getting to connect with you again. I'm so grateful for you joining and sharing your wisdom and, and this content with our, our men on the show. And um, I'm just here in my prayers and Again, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me on, John. Awesome. Well, as we end every episode, be a man, be a saint.